When Holly's son was considering suicide, she called a Focus on the Family counselor. All those years I'd been listening to Focus, I was thinking about how they were like that practical guide for me. That was sound advice I could get from them. I didn't really know where else to turn. I'm Jim Daly. Together we can rescue hurting parents like Holly and give families hope. Donate today at focusonthefamily.ca slash give. In those moments, if we've had a mom fail or a dad fail, we have got to remind our children that they are loved. Because the last thing I want is for my kids to think that God's love for them is dependent on their performance. And if I'm modeling that for them, it's going to be harder for them to believe that God loves them just the way they are if mom only loves you when you do things right. Becky Kapitsky joins us today on Focus on the Family, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller. John, I don't know how your household is, but at the Daly home, uh, mom, Jean, she sets the tone. Uh, She's the temperature gauge. If she's in a great mood, everything is running pretty good. And uh, I'm not sure if that's true for you. It generally is. We're all very aware of mom's emotional state. (laughs) (laughs) I love that old saying, you know, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Uh And it's so true. And I don't think it's a bad thing, actually. I think if mom's happy, that's a good thing. And that should be part of the goal of keeping your marriage healthy, etc. Today, we're going to talk about parenting. And here at Focus, uh, you know, those are our two main themes, marriage and parenting. And we want you to have the best family environment that you can have. And we're going to help you today to learn to uh, ditch the parenting monster, if I can call it that. Uh, sometimes it does rear its ugly head. We get that. It happens in the daily home. I'm sure it's happened in the fuller home. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of it. You know, kids have an incredible way of uh, pushing your triggers and bringing out perhaps the monster in you as a parent. Uh, to do that, we've invited uh, recovering monster mom, Becky Kopitsky, and she's going to join us today. And Becky and her husband, Chad, live in Wisconsin and uh, have two daughters, Clara and Noel. And Becky coaches Christian writers and speakers and podcasters, and uh, she's an author. And her latest book is The Cranky Mom Fix, Get a Happier, <laughs> More Peaceful Home by Slaying the Momster in All of Us. Uh, Stop by our website, focusonthefamily.ca, or give us a call to get your copy. Becky, welcome to Focus on the Family. Thank you for having me. It's It's great to have you. Now, you're from Wisconsin. Of course, John's from there, too, so you two have been just going at it Oh, yes. We know what it's like to survive winter. (laughs) I've never heard names of little towns like this. (laughs) What was the one you guys were talking about? Well, you mentioned growing up in? Well, I live in Nina. I grew up in New Holstein, Mm -hmm. which is the ultimate cow town. We've got all sorts of them. We've got Waukesha. We've got Waukegan. We've got Fond du Lac. Yeah, all sorts of names that no one can pronounce. I love it. I hope to get up there. My mom was from Wisconsin, so oh, really? I've really not spent any time up there. Let's, let's do a road trip. Okay, Jim. let's go. Uh, lots you. of cheese, I think. I think that's in the car. Our bread yeah. in Wisconsin. Okay, let's get to the momster terminology. You, I think, coined this phrase, momster. I love monster. it. Uh, how did uh, the monster mom first show up in your life, mm-hmm. mom? Well, unfortunately, it was very early on in my parenting career. I had this wonderful idea that I was going to be the patient, kind, ever-loving, soft and gentle mom until I had an actual child in my hands. And this child has a will of her own from infancy. Our children have a will of their own. That's how God has designed them. And for me, sadly... The monster first appeared when my first daughter, Clara, was only a few weeks old. She woke me up in the middle of the night, as was the norm at that stage in life. Every mother with a newborn knows what that's about. But I was just exhausted after the first few weeks. I was feeling shell-shocked from motherhood. 
and I got up to give her a diaper change and a feeding, and there was just this blowout diaper. Now, mothers, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> That'll <right>? push your trigger. <laughs> That'll push your trigger. And I actually growled at my baby, oh. my three-week-old beautiful baby. I just said, oh, mommy is so tired. Why won't you let me sleep? And then immediately, it was like the Holy Spirit slapped me across the face, and I had this outpouring of guilt, and I wept over the changing table. My poor three-week-old baby did not deserve that from me. And that's when I recognized that motherhood will squeeze out the most sinful parts Hmm. of a woman, even one who thinks that she is very in tune with God and thinks she's got it under control. Oh, no. (laughs) No, even the best of us Christian women can fall apart when we hit those triggers that call the momster to play. Well, obviously, the the question is, why does the momster exist? I mean, what's in us that allows us to react to that? Of course, a three-week-old baby can't. I mean, what do they know about pushing your buttons? They'll learn that a little later. Oh, yeah, they will. (laughs) But, I mean, at that point, hey, I just have a dirty diaper and I'm hungry. Yes, yes. All all they're asking from us is to raise them the way God has called us to do. But the problem, we like to blame it on the kids. You can't blame a three-week-old for waking you up. As the kids get older, they will. They will push your buttons. But even then, we want to blame it on the kids. But the culprit is really our own hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. So who can understand it? We certainly cannot really understand our own hearts. And when our sin is unveiled, we've got to look at ourselves first before we blame the kids. And that's how you begin to tame that monster, right? Look at yourself. Okay, so how do you go through that process? Well, (laughs) unfortunately, that's the lifelong process. But it, it, it begins in knowing my kids are not my enemy. My kids are on my team. If we are starting with the foundation of that truth, then we can approach them in a God-honoring way. But if we feel like our kids are the culprit, our kids are the enemy, our kids are the source of our sin, then we've got it all wrong. So we've got to look at ourselves first and understand what control we have and what control we don't have. And then just recognize that tuning into Jesus is going to take us a long way in this route to taming the monster because our enemy is on the prowl. He would want us to do anything that's unloving because God is love. So anytime we act unloving, Satan gets another point. For me, just enough to know that he's got a hold of me in that moment, I can snap out of it and say, no way, Satan, you will not get my family today. We've got to identify who the enemy really is, and it's not our kids. You know, I don't think I've asked this of a guest, but you're you're in this territory, so I'm going to do it. I mean, there (laughs) are non-believers that listen to Focus on the Family. I think it's really hard to find good marriage and parenting content in the culture, so they tune in. And if you're there, we're grateful that you're there. But when we're talking about the influence of evil in our heart or in our lives, and we refer to Satan, some people might be going, is this woman crazy? You're not crazy. I know that. And I agree with you wholeheartedly, by the way. But describe that a little bit spiritually, what's going on there. Sure. So what's going on there is is there is this realm of good and evil that exists in the world. And, and for those of us who are believing on Jesus, we know that in the heavenlies, there's an enemy of God. And he's got his demon cronies. And I even explain to people that I, I mentor that that sounds really woo-woo, right? It sounds <laughs> yeah, kind of creepy. Um, but it's just the reality of a supernatural world. And we live in a supernatural world. And some of us choose to acknowledge that. Some of us don't. But in general, it's just the battle of wills. Our sin nature 
is a part of the ugliness inside of us that never really goes away. Even when we're following Jesus, when faith is strong in our lives, we're always going to battle this tendency, this temptation to do something that is not going to have a good output. And that you can blame it on Satan. You can blame it on all sorts of moods. or There can be all sorts of reasons that we, sure. that we will place on why am I acting this but way. But it's really when we fall short of living up to uh, the Lord's desire for us, really. Yes, and he does have a desire for us. Yeah. And do we recognize that for as good. a first step? Yes. And you'll notice it in your marriage. And if you got any uh, selfishness or uh, bad things remaining after that, then you'll see it in your parenting. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you're describing. Yes. Uh, tell us about the day your daughter, uh, is it Noel? Noelle's my younger one. So Noelle, yes. your younger one, yes. when she had a nap or a non-nap experience, <laughs> how did that bring out the m- mumpster in you? Well, so Noelle was two years old. And it was nap time, and I like to enforce nap time because nap time is my quiet time. So she had just gotten a toddler bed, which meant that now she was free to roam. She wasn't stuck in the crib. And so she developed this habit of thinking that nap time was just optional because now I can roam free from my bed. So I had a baby gate that blocked the hallway of her bedroom from the kitchen. And she would pop out of her bed and and pat her over to the gate, say, Mommy, Mommy. And I would say, Go back to bed. And I would take her hand and I'd lead her back to her bed and say, it's nap time now. Night, night. See you when you're done. And then she would pat her back to, to the gate. And I, w- I just had it one day. I was so frustrated with her. I said, I'm done. You're going back into that bed. And I'm going into the other room where you cannot see me. And I went and sat on a sofa. And a couple seconds later, I heard a boom and a crash. And my little stinker at two years old busted down the baby <laughs> gate and came paddling toward me. Mama! And I got so angry. <laughs> I st- She's a stuffed animal girl. She has always been a stuffed animal girl. I gathered up all of her stuffed animals from the entire house, and I shouted, I am going to throw away all of your stuffed animals. They're going in the trash. And she started bawling, and I was giving myself this fuming pep talk. You know, you've got to stand strong. She's being rebellious, and you've got to make sure she doesn't become an outlaw when she grows up, and so just (laughs) lay down the law. And then she started crying and saying, Mommy, I want you. And I stopped in my tracks and I thought, well, what kind of an outlaw says that? And she just turned to me and she said, Mommy, she had her hands open, sniffling, I want you to hold me. And I thought, oh, I did it again. I let the law lead my actions instead of love because underlying it, what did she really want? She wanted my love. And I didn't give it to her. Instead, you know, I gave her an attack on all of her stuffed animals. Wow, that is a powerful picture. Because what do we do when we allow our anger to take over instead of tuning into Jesus, who is about love and grace? Firm stance, yes. But I needed to let love lead my actions because underneath it all, she was having insecurities about napping. She wanted a hug. Hmm. And what did I give her instead of a hug? I gave her the rules, and I gave her ranting. And then, of course, I started drowning in my regret over that situation. I knelt down, and I snuggled her, and I gave her a hug, and she was crying, and I was near crying. And as soon as I rocked her, she fell asleep in my arms in the kitchen. That's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> the um, you know the difficulty is there are times as a parent that you need to do those things, um, but you always want to put love first. I love that, yes. that you're thinking about first finding out What do you need from me? Why are you acting this way? But it does take an adult to do that. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. 
focus on the Family Canada, we're always seeking to meet the changing and growing needs of your family. That's why we've developed our free Focus on the Family magazine. It's spiritually grounded and relevant to your needs. Get your free subscription at focusonthefamily.ca. Find parenting tips, practical marriage guidance, useful advice on media, and encouraging ways to help your family grow in Christ. Sign up for your free subscription of Focus on the Family magazine today. Visit focusonthefamily.ca. Focus on the Family Canada's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive Program is a proven program designed to save couples from the brink of divorce. For over 15 years, Hope Restored Marriage Intensives have helped more than 4,500 couples, and over 80% of those surveyed are still together two years after attending. If you or someone you know is facing a crisis in their marriage, please call Focus on the Family Canada today at 1-833-999-HOPE or visit hoperestoredcanada.ca to find out more. The family-minded people at Deeks Insurance know what it means to properly protect your family. Whether it's your home or car, the good people at Deeks will make sure you have the right coverage at a great rate. After all, Deeks has been a licensed insurance broker since 1981, or ever since families and minivans became a dynamic duo. To see how Deeks can help you save, visit deeksinsurance.ca to get started with a quote. Deeks Insurance, where family matters. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Again, you get to share all your foibles with us, but you had a story about your daughter in the book uh, where I think she was going to be competing in a geography (laughs) bee or something like that. And it ended up being this uh, this moment. What did you learn in that process? <laughs> well, I learned how to humble myself, I'll tell you that. But my daughter, Clara, was in fifth grade at the time, and she had been selected among all of her classmates to participate in the school-wide geography bee. And the GOB was a big deal. So I had bought her by her request. She begged me to buy her the study guide for the National Geographic GOB. Makes sense. Absolutely. And I'm all for supporting education. So I bought her this book. And then fast forward about a month, we got through Christmas break. And she said to me in the evening, Mom, tomorrow's the GOB. I said, what? Tomorrow is the GOB? Yeah, Mom, it's tomorrow. And I realized she had not cracked open that book. Mm. And I said, I bought you the study guide. I thought your intention was to study from it so that you could do your best in the GLB. And I got so upset with her for wasting the time that she could have spent on this book that she asked me to buy, and I spent my good, hard-earned money, right? We like to say that as moms. I bought this book for her, and she wasted the opportunity, and here she was going to compete without being prepared, and I just berated her for it. And then she got so upset with me, and I realized that... I was what I was imparting on her was first of all my own perfectionism. So I needed to separate myself from her at that moment. And then I said, "All right, you know what? Instead of making this about anger, let's take advantage of this opportunity. We are going to have a study party tonight." Okay? Let's just <laughs> forget that you you didn't spend the whole month and over Christmas break. Really, what kind of a mother expects her child her fifth grader to be spending all of her free time studying for a GOB that doesn't really, you know, have any ramifications in her life long term. So 
I said, let's have a study party. So we cracked open that book, and I said, for every right answer you give me, you are going to get an M&M, and we're going to have pizza. And we ended up having a great time. But that was a Band-Aid, the, the study party that we had, and all the chocolate that I now keep on hand <laughs> for those apology <laughs> moments. may not be wise. Right? But I, yeah. <laughs> no, not, not what I recommend. But all of that had to happen because I didn't handle it well in the first place. Yeah. So that little stinker went to school the next day, and between fifth to eighth graders, she ended up making third place in that GOB anyway. Mm. And, and did you know it's completely impossible to truly prepare for the National Geographic <laughs> GOB? You basically have to be you know, an expert on the game of Jeopardy. Nobody really can answer all of those questions. And so I felt so horrible that I had imparted my own perfectionism on her when really she was just excited to go and do the GOB. Yeah. And you, you've kind of answered this next question, but we need to ask it and fill it out with other examples. Because what you're describing in the examples that you've given are certain degrees of response and some good outcomes, actually, the idea that you're able to pull back. And I think for some parents, Christian parents too, uh, it's hard to recognize that pit of despair and triggering that we fall into. Yes. It's so, you know, if you go over the line, if you don't come up with the, okay, we're going to do the fun study night tonight, and you stay in the anger part of it, like, mm-hmm. why did you not? Schedule your time. And you can really, you you can heap on the guilt when what they need is help. Yes. Because they're not, you know, still in the teen years, they're not fully functioning and they need guidance at times. And it does frustrate us as parents that they're not thinking straight. Right. You kind of, you're getting all the lingo here. Yes, exactly. So how how do you pull back as a parent when you notice you're stuck in the mud, so to Mm -hmm. speak? Absolutely. Well, first, we do need to recognize, like you said, these kids are not adults. They are not adults, and we can't expect them to think or act like adults. It is our job to train them up to be wise adults, but they're not there yet. And Proverbs tells us folly is bound up in the heart of a child. That means that that's part of their natural state. So are we going to berate them for that, or are we going to help nurture their positive qualities into maturity? Yes and so, yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not the right answer, but it's true. Isn't that why we're talking today? Right? But I, I believe it, when we have not handled our parenting well, when we have those blunders or those mom fails, I like to call them, and I have had so many, and the pain is real. It's on both sides. We're both wallowing in pain and, and disappointment and regret. So start. we need to start by humbling ourselves and recognizing that we did not handle that well, and then acknowledge the mistake. Acknowledge our own mistake and the child's, right? So I needed to acknowledge I should not have come down on you so hard about this GOB. I recognize that it was... It, you were excited about it, and I should have been excited about it for you. And then I need to apologize to my daughter and ask her for forgiveness. And apologizing to our kids does not show weakness. Apologizing shows them that we rely on Jesus just as we want them to. In fact, I think it gives them a greater opportunity to know the Lord than if we had expected perfection from them and from ourselves. So we've got to ask for that forgiveness. But then there is a degree of holding the child responsible, because it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card either, because she did have a responsibility in this situation to prepare for the GLB. My responsibility was to respond to that situation with more grace and more kindness, and I didn't handle it well. So, But I, I told her, I said, all right, so you didn't prepare, but I want you to be responsible for that, but let's work on the solution together. That's when we brainstorm solutions together. And that's how we came up with the study party and said, let's make it fun. But most importantly, in those moments, if we've had a mom fail or a dad fail, we have got to remind our children that they are loved. 
because the last thing I want is for my kids to think that God's love for them is dependent on their performance. And if I'm modeling that for them, it's going to be harder for them to believe that God loves them just the way they are if mom only loves you when you do things right. Let me ask you this. I I think one of the challenges many parents face is learning to respect your child Hmm. Uh, because we get in a mentality, they know nothing and we know everything. And sometimes that's true. Oftentimes that's true, (laughs) speaking as a parent. But sometimes it's not true. And you need to learn how to respect your child as they're getting older, et cetera. And if you could do that, that's the other element of having a really good parenting experience, love and respect of your children. How do you get into that spot to respect them? How do you make room for that? Uh, Have you got any stories of how you didn't do it so well? (laughs) I have a lot of stories of how I don't do it well. But the premise there is that our children, belong to God, just like we do, and they have inherent value as people. And it can become very easy as a parent to treat them like second-class citizens in our homes because we are the adults and we're wiser. And so I fall into the trap of snapping at my kids to follow my commands without respecting their time or um, expecting them to know what I know yeah. Without realizing yeah. that. That's a classic. Yeah, wait a second, you're 14. You're not going to know what I know as a 40-something, right? So I think the first key to that is, first of all, um, communicating with our children and remembering that they are not us. They are not adults. They're not going to think like we do. But then we have to endeavor to think like our children. But that requires actually knowing who our children are. So we Mm. have to go through the journey of really unearthing who they are, what are their interests, who did God create them to be, and that person is going to be different from who we are and maybe even different from who we originally expected they were going to be. So identify who God created and nurture that person. But then I also like to engage in some really practical tips for how to respect our kids. And one of my favorites is... First of all, don't make them a slave. I used to do this. So here's... What did that sound like? <laughs> that sounded like years ago, I still remember one day when this really came into focus for me. Clara was seven, and she had gotten old enough to learn how to clean the house, and she thought it was fun. So she'd say, Mom, are you going to clean the bathroom today? <laughs> Why, yes, I am. Can I help, Mom? Well, absolutely, you can help. So here's the scrub brush. And so she would help me clean. And then it got to the point where I would say, thank you so much. Now, will you sweep that floor? And then will you feed your sister a snack? And will you work on her alphabet with her? Because Mama's going to sit here and just relax, right? And crack open a soda while I watch you do my job. But that's not the right attitude to have toward kids either. They're not, they don't exist to take over <laughs> our job in all aspects, although when they do get older, they can take over their own laundry, and that I'm yeah. a big advocate for that. But in general, are we treating our kids like they exist to meet our every command, or are we understanding that they also they desire and they deserve under God the respect of being yeah, individuals, so individuals? And I also encourage parents to give a five-minute warning. Before you tell your kids to jump, you know, before it's time to go to the library or it's time to get your shoes on for school, it's time to wash your hands for dinner, it's whatever it may be, a five-minute warning. And I learned this because my husband did not do that for me. And I would get so upset. Hmm. You know what? Give me – he would be out in the garage. It's time to go. Time to go. Well, could I get a five-minute warning because I don't have my socks on yet? You know, the kids are half-dressed, eating their pancakes. A five-minute warning, please, would help us to be to synchronize our clocks to yours. And it would frustrate me so much. And then I recognized I was doing the very same thing to my kids. Get those shoes on. Let's get out the door to school. Yeah. You know, come on, put that game down. It's time to do your I homework. I like that. A little five-minute. Hey, little, here we go. It empowers them to obey you because yeah. they want to obey you. But it's hard for them to switch gears. Well, of course, the problem is that five minutes later, you're saying, okay – 
Right. Two more minutes. <laughs> but, but, right. So you have to stick with Then you have another problem. Let it. me ask you, Becky, as we're winding up here, you've created three rules. I love that. It makes me kind of a little uncomfortable, but three rules for your family that you lean into. What are the three? Yeah, three rules. And I don't take credit for this. I got it from a friend, but it works wonders. Three rules that encompass all of the little rules all in one. So number one, obey the first time. Or for small kids, it's obey fast. And it becomes a game. Obey fast. Because delayed obedience is disobedience. So obey the first time. And secondly is no disrespectful talk or no back talk. Use whatever language works for you so that we, we are following uh, God's admonishment to us to um, speak only wholesome language to one another. Build one another up. So no disrespectful talk. And then no hurting someone on purpose. And the reason I love that is because, is because it encompasses not just physical harm, but emotional harm. Mm. So don't yeah. kick your sister. Also, don't ignore your sister. You know, don't push your sister off of that sled hill, but also don't call your sister a bad name. So uh, those three rules together encompass all the rules because otherwise my husband and I at one point had so many different rules for our children <laughs> right. that even we couldn't remember what they were. We have them on a scroll on the yeah. wall, actually. There's like <laughs> yes, 15. Right. And whenever Gene points to I would say, you know, that's way too – I can't even memorize all those. <laughs> exactly. But when you've got those three rules, it's so easy to train the kids in what the family rules are. When they have some sort of misdemeanor, all you have to do is point to the that's rules good. and say, which one did you disobey? And and that really sets up the right environment for the child. I'm thinking of the mom listening right now, and this is it. We're out after this. But that mom that's going, oh, great. I'm not there. I am the triggered mom, and everything's triggering me right now, and I don't really know what to do. I'm the monster mom. Yes. What advice do you have for her that first step to get some sanity back into her life. And my heart goes out to that mom. I have been there. I meet so many of those moms. And my first piece of advice is to stop beating yourself up. Accept God's grace for who you are and the mistakes you make, because if you're not going to accept that, you'll never be able to share it with your children. So recognize that your performance as a mom is not what defines who your children become. God's got that controlled already. And then endeavor to go through these steps of identifying who your enemy really is. It's your own heart. It's not your kids. And then learn to communicate with them at their level and discipline with grace. Create the kind of fun environment for your kids. But go through those steps after you have first forgiven yourself and given yourself a little bit of a break. Becky, that is great. And I so appreciate what you've done here, this wonderful book. The Cranky Mom Fix. <laughs> now, husbands, don't buy this and put it on your wife's <laughs> yes. pillow. It's I'm just like saying, getting this, her a treadmill for Christmas, yeah, this okay? Is don't not do that. that kind of book. But if you heard the broadcast and your wife didn't, you may want to say, hey, you should listen to Focus today. Something a little more low-key. Let's do it together. Let's <laughs> yeah, listen together. Listen. That's good, yes. John. But uh, it is so good. And we're here for you. If you have um, you know, some concerns or there's things mm -hmm. going on, we have caring Christian counselors that can help you with that. You can call us, and they'll most likely have to call you back because they're usually, um, you know, backlogged. They're on the phone talking to folks. Also, we have yeah. a wonderful uh, parenting assessment. Uh, it will show you seven traits of effective parenting and be able to point to the good things you're doing and maybe the things you need to improve on. And remember, we uh, have Becky's book, The Cranky Mom Fix, and you can get it directly through us here at Focus on the Family Canada. And those proceeds, remember, go right back into ministry. and They don't go to shareholders' profits or anything like that. You're going to help save marriages, help save a baby's life. And I hope you will get a copy of Becky's book through Focus Canada today. We'll get in touch today if we can help in any way. Uh, maybe you want to talk to one of those counselors or uh, take that assessment. 
or donate and get your copy of Becky's great book, The Cranky Mom Fix. We're a phone call away, 800-A-FAMILY, or stop by focusonthefamily.ca. And have a fantastic weekend, and join us on Monday as we have Ruth and Patrick Schwenk joining us to talk about why it's important to put your marriage first when you have children. We've tried to help them understand that marriage is really important in our home. And I think we want to be an example to our children, not just to the world, but to our children. They're going to remember how we uh, made our marriage a priority in our home. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.